welcome to Liquid Church, everybody. Hey, let's say Merry Christmas to our campuses joining us. Merry Christmas, guys. Glad you're here for Advent Conspiracy. What we're doing is we're celebrating the season of Advent, which uh, we learned is an ancient Latin word. It means coming or arrival. And so this is a 2,000-year-old tradition that Christ followers have used in the season of Advent. So that's the four weeks leading up to Christmas, just to prepare our hearts for the advent or arrival of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And one of the traditions we're celebrating here at Liquid is the Advent wreath. And so every week we're inviting one of our church families to light the Advent candle and do a scripture reading. And so with me today are Safwat and Helda, their daughter Amanda and her husband Chuck. Would you give them a big round of applause? We're glad you guys are here. That's kind of fun. Because Safwat and Helda, your family is originally from Egypt, correct? Very fitting for today's reading. So we'll have you light the second candle of Advent. And this candle is interesting because it represents faith. It's called Bethlehem's candle. Uh, over 700 years before Jesus, the prophet Micah, he foretold that the Jewish Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, the birthplace of King David. So they're going to share a scripture reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 to 15. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this as was everyone in Jerusalem. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they, ha they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It, it went ahead of them to, and stopped over the place where a child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up. Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt and the child, Mary, and his, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Let's put our hands out for prayer, church, bow our heads. Lord, here at Advent, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, a newborn king in a cradle. 
sent from heaven to save his people and us. And so as people who've been redeemed and saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, we worship you like the wise men, Father. We actually give you our hearts. We give you the ears right now of our heart. We're ready to hear from your word what you have to say to us. We love you, Jesus. In your name, everybody said together. Amen. Amen. Can we thank the family? Thank you, guys. Grateful for you, Safa. I love you, brother. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Well, um, you know, last week what we learned is that Advent is actually the antidote to the modern kind of chaos of Christmas. Uh, For many families, December typically means lots of kind of running around, extra shopping, gifts, gatherings, parties, all that kind of stuff. And it kind of like adds this stress and overwhelm. But Advent is actually a conspiracy because it's a tradition that invites us to do the opposite, to actually slow down, to clear the clutter and worship fully. And so it's this 2,000-year-old way for Christ followers to kind of resist all this busyness and stress and consumerism that typically comes with the holiday season. So what we're doing is this Advent, we're putting into practice these like four core tenets or beliefs uh, and practices of the Advent conspiracy. The first we talked about is to worship fully. Uh, Last week we said we are going to be intentional to make sure Jesus is at the center of the season. Say amen if you agree. We want to be fully present to God, and so we're going to spend less. As an act of worship, we're actually going to reduce the reckless spending that our culture celebrates but tends to ruin your soul. And instead of going into more consumer debt, we're going to give more. What I mean by that is we're going to give more of our time to those we love. We're going to give more to those in need, which many of you did actually this weekend. Uh, All our campuses, show of hands. How many of you helped pack meals for the Hungry at our Christmas Outreach? All right, let me show you a picture of Advent in action. We had over 6,000 people put super stylish hairnets on and pack meals for the global poor. Yeah, give them a hand. All seven campuses. Guys, this was absolutely incredible. To me, it was just thrilling to see every age and stage. We had young families and grandmas and grandpas, and, and they spent their Friday night and Saturday, two days of packing these nutritious meals. So these are, you know, vitamins, veggies, soy, and rice to feed starving children around the world. So you gave your weekend, and what a difference 24 hours makes. You made a world of difference. Uh, we had a goal at Christmas as a church to, to pack actually about a million meals to ship to uh, hungry families around the world at Christmas. Do you want to know how many total? Yeah, you, okay, all right, give me a drum roll. Come on, give me a drum roll. Are you ready for it? Over 1,174,000 meals. Incredible. Guys, that was just thrilling. It's amazing. It's really, it was really beautiful. Like, I mean, it's beautiful to see that. Instead of people going to the mall saying, you know, Advent, we're going to get back in touch with the true spirit of Christmas, right? Where God sends his son for our spiritual salvation. Then he fills us with his spirit. And then we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus to help our neighbors in need. So worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all. That's what you did this weekend. So thank you for being part of this conspiracy, right? Where this whole idea that, hey, man, we're going to actually serve Jesus and others, not just ourselves at Christmas. Our goal is kind of simple. We want to see this December from God's perspective. We want to look at Christmas from inside the manger, not inside the mall. Amen? Amen. So today we're going to talk about the second core practice of spending less, which let's just acknowledge, I was a little bit fear and trembling because it's like, come on, good luck with that, you know? Christmas is by definition, it's like a season of excess, right? Excessive spending, buying, consumption. I mean, here in the West, 
Christmas is almost like 100% commercial, right? It's all about getting the, the, the shiny new thing or finding the perfect, you know, gift for her or, or, or the gadget for him and spending money we don't have. Now, I don't know if you saw this, but um, last Friday, congratulations, uh, Americans set a new Black Friday spending record. Uh, all told, Americans spent in a single day $68 billion dollars shopping on Black Friday. Biggest Black Friday in history. Uh, malls were mobbed. Actually, people used their phones and laptops to buy about 11 billion of gifts and gadgets and goodies, Amazon, all that. Right, all, now all, you know, trying to find the perfect gift. Now, here's the deal. I'm not going to make you feel bad today, okay? If you're like, oh man, that was me. <laughs> I blew it on Black Friday, man. This isn't a guilt message, okay? I'm not, I'm not going to get all scroogey on you like, bah, humbug, all right? Uh, particularly because gift giving is biblical. Uh, did you know that? It's part of the Christmas tradition and came from the passage we just read in Matthew 3, right? Where these wise men, they give three gifts to the baby Jesus. And of course, that's in response to God giving his greatest gift, his son, to us. So Christmas is a season of giving, but it just seems to me like it's a little bit out of control. Does that feel that way to anybody? Does anybody else, quick show of hands, feel a little bit of stress around gift giving? Right, like, right, like I get the right gift for that person or, or my roommate or a coworker. Now, I'm not really like the biggest shopper in, in the family, but even I feel a little bit of anxiety around that. You know, like finding the right gift that sends the right message or, you know, do the kids have equal amounts? Will she get three and he's getting, you know, all that. It's just like part of our culture. But like, have you ever stopped to ask like, why? Like, like why in one month do we inject this stress and overspending in December? Because if you step back for a minute, it's a little bit crazy that this is the month on the calendar where we say, in Jesus' name, we're going to spend money we don't have, we're going to get credit card debt we can't pay, and we're going to do this as a way to prove our love for other people with lavish gifts. And in the end, of course, we're left holding that ugly sweater from Aunt Mary or Uncle Tom uh, that we'll never wear, right? Like, that's where we end up. Now, again, I want to just assure you, I'm not here to be the Grinch of Christmas, okay, or make you feel guilty. Uh, my goal today is not to make you feel bad, but to help you feel free. I want to give you permission. I want to give all of us permission to do something counterculture. We're going to have permission today to celebrate Jesus' birth by spending less on his birthday, now, let me show you where this comes from here in the Bible. Um, again, we are entering the Christmas story. We want to look at it through first century eyes. And in the reading that you heard from Matthew, we learned today about King Herod, uh, who was so threatened by the birth of Jesus that he wanted to kill the newborn baby. So Herod is this king in this ancient mosaic here on the left. And you see the three wise men who were also kings. And, and you may be like, well, why was Herod so threatened by Jesus? Well, historians, secular historians say we know the most about King Herod in the first century. He was one of the most ruthless, evil tyrants in antiquity. In fact, we know so much about him because at the time Jesus was born, the civilized world was, ro was ruled by the Romans, right? Caesar Augustus, he was considered Lord of the Roman Empire. And Caesar appointed Herod to serve as King of the Jews. So Herod, understand, had authority over Israel, but Caesar was his boss, okay? So here's what people did when they walked around. They had to say, Caesar is Lord and Herod is great. In fact, Herod gave himself that nickname. He said, you can call me Herod the Great. Follow me, at Herod the Great on Instagram, okay? <laughs> so 
Herod had this like big ego and he was famous for big buildings. In fact, he undertook all sorts of massive spending and building projects that was meant to show off his prestige and his power. Uh, those of you who are going to Israel next spring with our church, you're going to actually see these. The, the three most famous building projects that Herod did were the first was to renovate the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, it had been destroyed, and he said, we're going to rebuild it, remodel it, make it larger and more beautiful. And the reason he did is he said, I want a capital city worthy of my dignity and grandeur. So he rebuilt the house of God, but not to bring glory to God, to bring glory to himself. And so we're going to visit the western wall of Herod's temple, which is still standing in Jerusalem today. Uh, and we're also going to visit uh, cities like uh, Caesarea by the sea. He actually built this incredible coastal port city to receive ships from Rome. And he wanted to impress Rome, so he named it uh, Caesarea, like in the honor of Caesar. He recognized good politician, right? I got to give something in order to get something. And so Roman ships would come in here and they had an amphitheater and they had a place where they did chariot races because he said, I want this to be like Rome, but in Israel. And Herod was, understood, he was a brilliant man. Do you see that port out there, out in the middle of the waters? That's actually poured concrete. He was the man in the ancient world who invented underwater cement pouring. It had never been done before. And he said, I'm going to innovate that. So understand, this guy was rich. This guy was technologically innovative. He was politically connected, but he was also paranoid. Historians note that Herod was a very insecure leader, and he suffered from paranoia, which is why he built this mountaintop fortress, the third one, called the Herodium. Everyone say Herodium. Herodium. Named after himself, right? He'd take a mountain and basically cut off the top, and this was a fortress that he could escape to because he was convinced everybody's after my throne. People are plotting a coup. He was so paranoid that he actually murdered members of his own family. Herod had 10 wives, and the one he loved the most, he executed. He had three of his sons who he felt were too ambitious, so he had them strangled to death. That's who Herod is. Herod was the most ruthless ruler, and even Caesar in Rome, he, he actually quipped this. He said, better to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his sons. The joke was that since Herod was Jewish, he didn't eat pork, and so the pigs at least would be safe in his family. So now you got, you got this. This is the backdrop of Christmas. A tyrannical king ruling over God's people. He had these visions of grandeur. He was obsessed with power and prestige. He hoarded his possessions, and then he taxed the poor to pay for it all. In a lot of ways, Herod ruled over what Greg Holder calls the empire of more. Build more, spend more, gain more power, hoard more wealth, because more is better. Less is not more, more is more. Hashtag make Judea great again. Okay, like it's kind of like, <laughs> it's not a political statement. It's just the world of King Herod. And into this ruthless, greedy, power-hungry empire of more, the Bible says Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the reign of who? King Herod. Now, Jesus wasn't born in Jerusalem, the capital. He was born five miles south in this dusty backwater town no one had heard of, Bethlehem. And he's born to peasant parents, right? Two teenage kids, Mary and Joe. Nobody's heard of them. <laughs> and Jesus isn't born in a palace. He's born in straw poverty. In fact, his parents are so poor, his pregnant mom has to ride a donkey just to get there. They can't afford a motel room. And Jesus is basically born in the garage out back. That, that, that's literally where the manger was. It was a stable where they fed animals. So 
Capture this contrast? At Christmas, you have two kingdoms in conflict. You have Herod's empire of more versus the humble, quiet coming of Christ. And so you'd be like, well, why would Herod even notice this? Because scripture says suddenly three wise men from the east kind of roll on up and they start asking questions. <laughs> it said about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking questions. Hey, where is the newborn king of the Jews? What? <laughs> yeah, we saw his star as it rose and we've come to worship him. And Herod's like, I'm sorry, excuse me? What? That, did you just say there's a newborn king of the Jews? Because I'm the only king up in here. And I rule this town. And my empire more is never going to end. And Matthew says this in verse 3, King Herod was, what's the phrase, church? Deeply disturbed when he heard this. As was everyone in Jerusalem. In other words, when Jesus was born, everybody in the empire more immediately began to react. Some people like Herod felt insecurity and fear. Like, is this a threat to this throne? Is this the rival king who's going to overthrow him? But for others, the arrival of a newborn king aroused this hope and this longing. They're like, we've been waiting for the advent, the arrival of this Messiah who God promised was going to liberate us from our oppressors. See, at Christmas, the truth is God entered our world and immediately confronted Herod's empire of more. With his humble birth, Jesus challenged this notion of what a Lord and Savior was going to look like. Jesus was not politically powerful. He didn't flex military muscle. He didn't have any wealth or outward splendor as a king because he wasn't a king who came to rule but to humbly serve. Jesus didn't come to pat his own palace but to actually wash the feet of his followers. So you understand why Herod was upset? His empire of more was being threatened. All the wealth he had hoarded, all the power he accrued, the big buildings he owned, the palatial palace he lived in, he was like, now it's under attack. And so he did something unthinkable. Verse 16 says, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. And he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were how old? Two years old and under, based on the wise men report of the star's first appearance. Behold, the first state-sponsored genocide in the New Testament. Merry Christmas, everybody. I mean, this is one of the most disturbing themes of ancient art. This is actually called the Massacre of the Innocents. It's a carving, a medieval carving from Notre Dame. It's absolutely chilling to see babies being slaughtered. But scripture says that Herod killed all the baby boys two years old and under to eliminate any rivals. I don't want any threats to my throne. See, I know it's hard to look at, but we can't look away because there's a dark underbelly to that first Christmas. I mean, there, it, uh, Christmas isn't all cinnamon and snuggles, people, okay? Like, we look at this and you realize, my goodness, this, this, this Herodian spirit, I would call it a satanic spirit, that seeks to keep itself on the throne and crush others underfoot. I have to preserve my power and my possessions. See, when you read the Bible, you discover, like, it blows up or, you know, silent night, holy night, all is calm. No, no, there is a whiff of danger. There is a clash of kingdoms. There is a conspiracy going on against the powers that be. There is a heaven-sent rebellion against the empire of bigger, better, faster, more. And it was really God sending a message to earth. What's the message? There is a new king in town. And this king named Jesus is humble. And he is loving. 
And he won't lord it over people. In fact, he's going to lay down his life for them. Instead of hoarding wealth for himself, he's actually going to give up the riches of heaven to secure your freedom. That was the good news. That was the gospel that Jesus' birth announced. Good news, amen? amen? So understand here in Matthew, when you enter the original Christmas story, you like kind of pull back the tinsel and the wrapping paper. We're looking at two kings and two kingdoms in conflict. On one hand, Herod and the empire of Moor, and on the other, the kingdom of Christ. You know, Herod completely missed the reason for Christ's coming. <laughs> Jesus didn't want to sit on Herod's throne. He wanted to be king of Herod's whole life. And so I think you and I have a choice today. Like at Christmas, who are you going to serve? Which king? Herod and the empire of Moore or Jesus? I realize we don't serve a historical Herod, but as Americans, I think we have a king who always demands our allegiance at Christmas. In America, our counterfeit king is called consumerism. <laughs> it's the spirit that says Christmas is about bigger, better, faster, more. Like Herod, it's about more presence, more possessions, more spending, the bigger, the better. Less isn't more at Christmas, more is more. So what do we do? We pile on the purchases, right? We stuff more in our carts. We, we spend a lot of our time and our energy and our money chasing after more. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's like the more you shop, the more Christ gets crowded out. Look at the face of this woman. Can we just acknowledge this here? <laughs> you think I see the joy getting sucked out of her soul, right? Like nobody comes back from Target on Black Friday. It's like, I feel closer to Jesus, right? <laughs> All the original joy and wonder of this good news, this humble Christmas gets washed away in this tsunami of hyper-consumerism. And like, it's sort of obscene if you think about it. I mean, here's a statistic that stopped me in my tracks this week. In America, the amount of money we spend on Christmas is 45 times the amount of money it would take to supply the entire world with clean water. Think about that. Like as a church that gives a lot, it's our passion. We want to see every child on the planet have access to clean drinking water. Amen? It could be wiped out in one day. In one day. If we actually were to give towards what's closer to the heart of Christ. I mean, what, what, what do you think is closer to the heart of Jesus at Christmas? Piling more on top of our more? Or is it possible it's spending a little less so we can give to those who are oppressed and actually need more? So that's why the Advent Conspiracy includes an invitation to spend less. Now, hear this right. I didn't say spend nothing. I just said spend less. And the goal is so that your heart actually doesn't just get hollowed out as a consumer, but instead mirrors the heart of Jesus for the poor and oppressed. You know, that little baby grew and became a man. And when people started following him around and actually started calling Jesus their Messiah, Jesus warned them about something in Luke. Jesus said this, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of what? Possessions. He's like, be careful at Christmas especially, because my birthday isn't about buying a bunch of stuff. Your, your life is a lot more than the abundance of your possessions. Your soul is worth so much more than your stuff. So don't buy the lie that more is more. Jesus says, in my kingdom, less is more. Do you want to find true joy? Give your life away. Do you want, do you want to find freedom? Stop living like a slave. Your, your primary identity is not mindless consumer. It's child of God. 
So I get it, we're Americans, but Christ followers, he's inviting us to reject this kind of peppermint lie of consumerism that says, just buy this and you'll be satisfied, right? That's what, that's what possessions promise, satisfaction guaranteed, right? Just buy these shoes, you know, for your wife or, or that gadget for your husband or that phone for your, you'll finally be happy. You will feel happiness. There's no doubt. Like when you get a great gift, you're like, man, this, just, this is awesome. This makes me happy. Question is, how long does that last? <laughs> About what? Two or three Days, hours, maybe? I was, you know, I was like, I said five days, someone's like five hours, bro. <laughs> you will feel happiness whenever you get a great gift, but you get it for a very short amount of time until you start searching for the next thing that's gonna satisfy you, right? So think about this. In December, this month, we spend billions of dollars hoping, whether we admit it or not, that the latest and greatest gift is gonna give us that deep abiding joy. So we shop till we drop, and there's, there's no peace. There's just emotional exhaustion. We go into debt and wind up just kind of spiritually depleted, financially bankrupt. I mean, think about how sad this is. That debt and consumerism peak on the very morning we celebrate the Savior who came to liberate us from these things. You, you want to see a crazy photo? This is from Black Friday sale last week. Yeah, I think it's a Walmart. They had discounted flat screen TVs. And uh, the, the, when they opened the doors, people stormed through, began wrestling over the TVs. And I'm looking at this, I'm like, what a crazy thing. Well, it's not an isolated incident. In another location, a woman actually got smashed in the face with the TV. Take a look at that. Like, how'd you get those stitches above your eye? I was Christmas shopping, <laughs> you know? Merry Christmas. Don't laugh. In one location, fistfights broke out in the parking lot as shoppers fought over who was first in line to get the discounted merchandise. It's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that, man. I put myself out there for you. <laughs> I mean, not, not like to put too fine a point on it, but there's actually a website called Black Friday Death Count that keeps a running tally of the deaths and injuries that have occurred around the globe during Black Friday shopping melees. 12 deaths, 117 injuries. I, I, like, I looked at this, I was like, that's just sick. The empire of Morgan loco. <laughs> See guys, the heart of what we're really searching for, that, that, that sense of unconditional love and, and peace and contentment Joy, it gets buried under the empire of consumer culture. It's not even that we really want more. It's just that we're searching for something that money can't buy. We're trying to shove. There's a God-shaped hole in our heart, and it's like, can I fit a flat-screen TV in there? <laughs> right? You're never going to get the sense of soul satisfaction or love for God and compassion for others. Only Christ offers this. It's why Jesus says, he goes, watch out, guys, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So when you read the scriptures, you realize, man, it turns out our spending habits are a deeply spiritual issue. Now, again, I'm, I'm not your financial advisor. This has nothing to do, in fact, with your salary or your bank account. I'm your pastor. I'm just giving you spiritual advice. 
And at Christmas, I'm cautioning you that consumerism can poison your relationship with Christ if you're not careful. Because at Christmas, Jesus can become this commodity that we consume rather than a king who reigns. Guys, you have to be careful because I, I know, I'm speaking for me, we're so conditioned by consumerism, a lot of times we seek God for what he can give us rather than what we can give him. And so when we go bananas and just get kind of washed away and we spend without thinking, you know what we're doing? We're piling up gifts at our own throne. Consumerism is a king, but it's a counterfeit king. It will never give you the lasting joy and peace and wonder of a relationship with a living God who laid down his whole life to set you free. So here's a radical idea. What if this Christmas we did something counterculture? We did something subversive. What if instead of spending recklessly like our culture wants, we worship joyfully like the wise men here in Matthew? I mean, seriously, like they gave gifts, right, to Jesus. But notice what it says in verses 10 and 11. When they saw the star, they were filled with what? Say it together, church. Joy. joy. Turn to your neighbor and poke them and say, be joyful. <laughs> be joyful. <laughs> they were filled with joy. <laughs> They entered the house, watch this, this is Christmas morning. Is this Christmas morning in your house? <laughs> they entered the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and what did they do? They, they worshipped him. Is that not beautiful? Like, they, on that Christmas morning, you're filled with joy and worship. It wasn't this mad scramble of like, hey, where's my stuff? What'd you get me? <laughs> it's like, more joy, less jerkiness. <laughs> so the question is, could we actually slow down a little bit? Could we just slow down? And what if we spent a little bit less and gave gifts in that spirit of joy and humble worship like the wise men on that first Christmas? What would happen to you if you scaled back your spending this December so you could give more joyfully? Let me challenge you to make this personal. Here's my question. Are you actually willing to rethink your approach to gift giving this December and rediscover the beauty of a Christ-centered giving like the wise men? So let's talk about what it means to spend less so you can give more. I want to get real practical. Because spending less, like that's an ambiguous goal, right? Like, like spend less than last year. What do you mean, Tim? Spend less than my neighbor. Spend, spend less than the average American who actually, by the way, spends about $1,000 on Christmas gifts. I'm not going to give you a specific amount. That's between you and God. But I want to give you three practical guidelines. Because spending less does not mean spending nothing. It actually means taking time to give thought and care to how you spend. So if you want to spend less at Christmas and really honor Christ, here are three action steps if you're taking notes. And the first is to set a limit. Nobody applauds. <laughs> I knew that. No, no, that's okay. That's okay. That's all right. I'm not after false applause here. Okay, listen. Right? It's, even like the word limit sounds un-American. <laughs> Because we don't like limits. But the reality is, guys, the best way to curb runaway gift giving is to actually set a limit before you get there. I'm talking to parents for a minute because I think we just have to ask this question. Like if you're a parent, okay, if you got, or just you, you have a child in your life. You may be an aunt or an uncle, grandparent. I think as adults, we just have to ask the question, like what message are we telling our kids when we bury them under a mountain of gifts on Christmas? Have you ever had this happen? I'm going to share with you my probably all-time worst Christmas morning memory. Uh, our kids are teenagers now. They were little at the time, probably four or five. And at that time, they had three sets of grandparents. Uh, there's a divorce on my, on my wife's side. And so we had three sets of living grandparents. We're actually blessed, right? 
So Colleen and I, we've got like our presents for the kids. And then ding dong, around 12 o'clock come the grandparents, six of them, followed by three aunts. And they come in with bag after bag. And in our house, we actually put the presents under the tree. And so you can put them over there and just like, boom. And then the next set comes in, boom, here, and the next set, and the next set. And by the time they were done, the pile of presents was taller than my son. So he's standing here, and he's like looking up at this mountain of presents, right? And I'm like, all right, well, we want to thank everybody. He's like, go, rip, rap, toss, rip, rap, toss. And with each present he opens, he rip, he looks at it, and just goes, next, and throws it over here, rip, rap, next, and he pulls the next one, next one, next one, next one, next one, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm really a good dad, I promise, you know. <laughs> it was crazy because with every gift he opened, the previous one meant less and less. And we all kind of looked at each other, we're like, <laughs> we, we all knew it, all the adults in the room knew it. I mean, here's the truth, guys. Many of us are guilty of giving our children too much, like completely overwhelming them with material gifts that distract from the simple celebration of Jesus. I mean, it just jumped out at me this week as I'm meditating on this passage, guys. There's this moment in the Christmas story where God speaks to Joseph in a dream. And he says, you got to get your kid out of here. You actually got to go all the way to Egypt to escape the empire of war because Herod is out to destroy your child. Think about that. As parents, guys, it's our job to confront the cultural spirit. I know this is not popular, <laughs> but to actually protect the heart of our kids, and one of the ways to do that is by setting a limit. Now, let me tell you a cool way to do this because I heard of a one family who actually used the wise men as their model. They said to their kids, they said, hey, at the first Christmas, baby Jesus received three gifts. And as a family, they read from Matthew. They, they read the verse you just read. They opened their treasure chest, gave Jesus gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And they say, uh, kids, this was the first, like, Christmas gift exchange. And so baby Jesus got three gifts at Christmas, and so are each of us. So for our family, they said, to honor Jesus this year, we're going to limit our gift giving to three presents each. And so they said, everybody in our family is going to get three gifts. And here's how they did. They said, you can get something you want. So maybe it's that, you know, that cool Lego set or that, that snowboard or the, you know, video game or whatever it is. Like, what's, what's on their fun list? Something you want. And then you're going to get something, number two, you need. Like maybe you need gloves or, or you need whatever, ski pants or, or you need a new coat or, or a watch. Something practical. And they said the third gift is going to be something for us to experience together. We're going to go on a family outing. And maybe we're going to go game or a show or a concert or, or we're going to go out, you know, ice skating or we're going to go out hiking. or what. There's endless options. It's very simple. But by their family setting a limit, what they found is that every gift became more meaningful. Because it wasn't just about getting a pile of crap, you know, like all this kind of stuff. We skim right over this. But the three gifts that the wise men gave to Jesus, did you notice they were very thoughtful and curated to who he was? It says they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of what? Let's read it together. Gold, frankincense, and each of these elements were handpicked as a present to say, Jesus, we know who you are. Gold was a gift for royalty in the ancient world. They were announcing, Jesus, you are the true king, not Herod. Incense was a gift for deity. You burned incense. They were acknowledging, Jesus, you are divine. You are the son of God come in the flesh. And you know what myrrh is? Myrrh is a special spice used to embalm dead bodies. It was them announcing, 
You're not just king. You're not just God. You are going to be our savior who's going to die on a cross. And we're going to worship you for who you are. Isn't that beautiful? Like three curated gifts to worship Jesus for who he was. Every present was perfect and personal for their king, their Lord, and their savior. And I think it was kind of their way of rejecting Herod's empire of more and say, let's just put the, the simple focus where it belongs on Jesus. And, and I looked at that, and I was like, that's beautiful. You know, I think we do well to, to follow their example. So I just want to encourage you, you may want to consider setting some parameters for presence, okay? Uh, parents, don't, now listen, just going to give you a word of caution here. Don't just spring this on your kids. Don't, don't get in your minivan at lunch. You're like, kids, Three gifts this year, Pastor Tim said, no more, that don't throw me under your bus, okay? Don't throw me under the bus. Tim said, okay, listen, okay? In fact, let me just be real, real clear about this. I think you actually need to talk about this a little bit. Like, you need, like, hey, guys, this is what we're talking about. And by the way, your kids, we're teaching them this too, so it's not total shocker. Uh, but you can say, what do you think of that? I know, Pastor Tim's a Grinch. Uh, <laughs> You blame me a little bit, but the idea here is to give you, a, open up a conversation for your family. Maybe it's not even with your kids. Maybe it's with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your roommate or the people at your work. You do this white elephant and just people waste their money. Let's do something incredible. Let's do something uh, beautiful. Maybe it's just saying, you know what? I know what you, I know what you want. Got that. But what else do you need? And then there's something we can experience together. That's beautiful. Action step one, set a limit. Number two is to make a, let's read this together. Make a... <laughs> Half of you are like, make a boo. Oh, I'm not saying that. <laughs> he just said the B word in church. Budget. It sounds like a bad word. It's going to ruin all the fun. But guys, it doesn't have to be that way. Let me listen to this. The truth is most of us spend way beyond our means at Christmas, right? Okay? I've been guilty of it. But a budget can help you avoid a pitfall. A budget just helps you take charge of your spending choices instead of letting the culture dictate what you do. So setting a budget doesn't mean you can't eat out, doesn't mean you can't throw a party or buy gifts, but setting a budget ahead of time will help you actually be wise, like the wise men, and how much am I going to invest towards these things? Because remember this, every step that you max out at the mall is one step further away from the manger. So believe me, if you've ever felt guilty about spending too much, and we all have, if you stick to a budget this Christmas, do you know what you will feel in January? Oh, blessed relief. Again, statistically, just research this week. Did you know this? One in three Americans is still paying off debt from last Christmas. One in three Americans. Just look down your row. <laughs> One, two, three, right? And we've all been there. If, like, if in January, you're, you're like, you open up your credit card bill and you're like, is this really what Christmas is about? Obviously, guys, it's insanity to run up your credit card bill in the name of Jesus' birth. Let's not blame Jesus for this, okay? Let's do something counterculture as his followers. Let's actually make a budget. I love how Dave Ramsey defines a budget. Uh, those of you who've been through FP, you would be able to say this, right? A budget is simply a way of telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. So if you stick to a budget, imagine enjoying the gift of a debt-free Christmas this December. Going in 2020 without holiday debt, you'd be like, that's a Christmas miracle. Guys, the relief you feel will be worth it. So as a family, talk. 
Decide ahead of time. Pray, actually. How much of God's money does he want us to spend this December? And then do what's best for your family. Again, just talk about it, but make a Christmas budget, then stick to it. So set a limit, we said. Make a budget, and then finally, spend wisely. Can we say that together? Spend wisely. How do you spend? Spend thoughtfully. Slow down. Give some care and thought to the people you're giving gifts to. Spending less doesn't mean you love them less, okay? In fact, what I've found is most people find when they spend less, they spend more time getting more creative and personal gifts that really engage their heart. It's about spending wisely. It's not just like grabbing the first thing, you know, that catches their eye. Like, you know, here, hey, a generic gift card. Hey, I just want to let you know that I thought of you at the very last minute. You know, I just, <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. I like Starbucks gift cards. All right. So, <laughs> just kidding. So spend wisely. But imagine taking time to pray. Like, pray for the people on your Christmas list before you purchase anything. You, you could actually turn shopping into a spiritual experience. Like, Lord, how much do you want me to spend? How, how can I show the love of Jesus to my family and friends? I think you might be surprised how the Holy Spirit leads you. Because he may tell you to do something I, I've just found he's done in my own life. He may tell you to give people the gift of time versus spending more money. Maybe this year the Holy Spirit's going to lead you to spend more on experiences that make memories than possessions that gather dust. The options are endless. Maybe you're like, you know what, let's do a, a cooking class together. You know, let's, let's go rock climbing. Let's make a list of new restaurants to try or trails to hike or parks to visit or, or concerts to go to or, or instead of doing the, the white elephant. We're, you know what, we're going skiing together. I know that costs a fortune. I get that, you know, whatever. But it, maybe, maybe for your grandparents, you're going to get them a scrapbook or a photo album. Can I give you a pro tip? That is all they want. Can I hear it for the grandparents? They're like, we don't want any more Christmas crap. Spend some time, put the pictures in an album because I love reminiscing over the life that we've spent together. They're gifts from the heart. Guys, these action steps are completely doable. What I have found is our kids get older, they're teenagers now, what I've noticed is they actually prefer making memories together than just getting more stuff. And so for the last five years, our kids have been like teenagers. We've actually, as a family, we have scaled back on the presents, and we plan a family trip. We actually go away together. So it's just slowing down and being a little bit more thoughtful about it. And guys, these Advent action steps are completely doable. Think about it. What if you set a limit? What if you made a budget? And what if you spent wisely? With God's help, guys, you can resist the empire of more. You can celebrate Jesus' birth beautifully, and humbly and relationally. You know, the other day, my prayer as your pastor is that this is going to open up a conversation for those family and friends who you love. Talk about it. Parents, discuss it with your kids. See what they think. And together, my, my hope is like we'll all join in this conspiracy that started 2,000 years ago with the advent of Jesus. That's the challenge. To give joyfully like the wise men did. Not mindlessly or recklessly, but with intentionality and caring, and guess what? This is the secret. This is the twist. If you spend less this Christmas, you may just discover more. More joy. More freedom. More peace. More release. Guys, the biggest surprise at Advent is how much more your soul will enjoy Jesus when you spend less at his birthday.
Amen? So let's invite Jesus right now to give us some of that, that spirit of Christmas. I know we're gonna, I'm going to need self-discipline. <laughs> so let's open up our hands right now and invite our Father to fill us. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the miracle of Jesus' birth. But God, we're just, I just admit right now, this is hard truth. When we pull back the curtain of that first Christmas and see all the powers at play with Herod, the king of the world, and the kingdom of Christ, God, we're just, I feel caught in that tension. I'm pulled between the two. So Holy Spirit, right now, could you just quiet our hearts to speak to us? We're opening our hands as a symbol of opening our hearts. We need to hear from you, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would begin speaking to every man, woman, and child, that you'd speak to my family, me and Colleen, our kids. Less of us, more of you, Jesus. We've cleared room. Now fill us with the Holy Spirit, God, to live out of the kingdom of our Christ, not our culture of consumerism. I pray for marriages. I pray where there is tensions. I pray that this would be like a, a breath of fresh wind, giving permission to live like free children of God this Christmas. Father, do some beautiful things. Thank you for the work you did that we were able to invest our time to give this weekend, God, meals to the hungry. What a joy. What an honor. More of that, Lord. And when these things happen, Father, we pray that all the glory, none of it would go to us, but would it all be laser-focused on our coming King Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Everyone said together, amen. amen.